Well, thank you, New Life. It's good to be with you. And uh, yeah, now I have been at NIAC 16 years. I think this next year will be my 17th year. And uh, to be honest, one of the reasons that God brought us back was to do exactly what Pete said, and that is try to restore uh, a sense of the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit on a college campus. Uh, because we can't do this thing without the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And so to that end, we have courses on uh, the Holy Spirit and his gifts, divine healing. Uh, that's one of the favorite courses. I, I love to teach on divine healing. Uh, last spring, I had 65 students in my class down in New York City. I taught it down in the city. And uh, we had, uh, between the two campuses, we had 160 documented healings that happened um, because in order to pass divine healing, you got to pray for people. And if one person gets healed, you get a C. If two people get healed, you get a B. I'm just kidding. I'm just, we don't do that. You get a resurrection from the dead, you get an A, okay? <laughs> Anyhow, but we had 100, about 160 documented healings that came from our students going out and praying. And uh, they have to pray for at least 10 people a semester, five of which can be inside church. The other five have to be grocery stores, subways, wherever they happen to be. So we haven't had anybody mugged yet, but I'm hoping, you know. So anyhow, just kidding. All right. Um, I, I wanted to add one thing. I saw Pete and Jerry in Asia. I just got back from the Middle East, actually Cyprus, which is an island in the Mediterranean. But I was with missionaries from the Middle East uh, countries, uh, you know, Kurdistan, uh, northern Iraq, um, Palestine, uh, two ATS grad couples are in uh, Ramallah, behind the wall in Palestine. And uh, listen, God is doing amazing things over there. I know we don't hear it on the news, but Muslims are turning to Christ. In, in fact, they've started to refer to ISIS as proto-evangelists for the gospel, meaning uh, they are so radicalized that there are Muslims saying, we don't want to be associated with this, and they start looking for Jesus. And uh, one of the missionaries shared that a local village had sent a messenger to the missionaries and said, would you please come to our village? Our whole village wants to follow Jesus. They went to the village, and again, it was a small village, but about 30 to 40 people in this village in mass came to faith in Christ. And so please be in prayer for the missionaries in the Middle East. Um, they're facing tremendous opposition, tremendous persecution, but I tell you, God's on the move. Uh, Tertullian said years ago, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And uh, yes, thousands of Christians are being slaughtered right now, but their death will not be in vain. And I believe that their blood is actually fertilizing the evangelism that's coming, uh, even in that region. So uh, let's be in prayer for them. One more thing, uh, Julian Williams. Are you here, Julian? I want to introduce you to the Associate Director of Admissions at Alliance Theological Seminary. He came with me today. And he has a booth down below. Uh, if you are interested in ATS, uh, you don't have to go to New York City anymore. You don't have to go to Rockland County. I mean, we'd love to have you there, but you can now uh, take a new a program called a Master of Arts in Biblical Studies from the comfort of your own home. It's fully online, so you can go to seminary in your pajamas, okay? but only at home. Don't come to class that way. Ain't nobody got time for that, okay? So... Uh, <laughs> But anyhow, see Julian if you uh, want information in the online program. And uh, God's doing some good things at ATS. We're glad for our relationship with New Life. All right, let's pray and we'll look into the Word of God. 
Father, it's been a rich and full service already. Your presence is here. Uh, you are speaking to us. I thank you, God, that you are a speaking God. It's not that you spoke once and are done. Your Holy Spirit continues to convict, to guide, to prompt us. And so now we ask in these next 30 minutes that you would be very strong with your voice in our hearts and in our lives and that we would say yes to you and experience your transformation and your deep grace and your deep healing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. My daughter Karis is now in her 20s, but when she was about five years old, we discovered that she was a gifted gymnast. Uh, and we discovered this because she started to do flips and cartwheels, and it seems like nobody taught her anything, she just could do it. And so we enrolled her in a gymnastics academy, and, um, and, and she just began to flourish. And she loved it. And so I picked her up one day from gymnastics class, and uh, she was just beaming with this big smile. And she looked at me and she said, Dad, I was born for gymnastics. And I kind of laughed and I said, yes, you were, Karis, and I was not born for gymnastics. And she goes, no, Dad, you weren't. Don't ever try what I do. You'll hurt yourself, you know. And so, but in that moment, I realized that this was a teachable moment for this six-year-old girl. And so I said, Karis, that's a really important concept that you just, you know, came on to. You need to ask the Lord at every point of your life, am I doing what I was born for? And if you ask that question honestly and say, Jesus, am I living the life you purposed for me? Am I doing what I was born for or am I just putting in time? You see, I believe that there is a biblical truth that we sometimes miss. God has a destiny for your life and my life. Every single person here, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. There is something you were born for. Uh, if you look in the scripture, there's a couple verses that you're familiar with. In Acts 13, it says this about King David. When David had served God's purposes in his own generation, then he fell asleep. That's an incredible verse. In fact, I said to my wife a few years ago, someday, many years from now, when I die, you can put that verse on my tombstone. Because what a wonderful thing uh, to be able to say about somebody that Ron served the purposes of God in his generation, and then what more is there? You might as well go to sleep and go be with the Lord. And so it's a wonderful statement about the purpose that God has in his heart for each of us. There's another verse in Ephesians chapter 2 that you're familiar with. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Now, think about what that verse is saying. What that verse is saying is God has a plan and a destiny for you to accomplish things. And he knew about your purpose and your destiny when he was putting you together, when he was forming you. So catch this. You have everything you need, all the talents, all the gifts, all the abilities to pull off the purpose and destiny which God has in his heart for you. That's what the scripture tells us. God has a purpose. Now, if that's true, I think one of the most important questions we can ask is, how do we fulfill our purpose? How do we become people of destiny? You see, I think one of the great tragedies that hits uh, people's lives is they fail to find what they were made for, what they were born for. In fact, I think when it's all said and done, a lot of the anxiety and depression, a lot of the, the fear we live under uh, can often be rooted in finding that we are living for less than what God intended us to be doing. So this morning or this afternoon, 
I want to look at a passage of scripture in Hebrews chapter 11. And, and there's two people I want to look at, Abraham and Sarah, and there's an abbreviated story of their lives and how they overcame obstacles with some qualities of destiny in order to fulfill the purposes of God. And so I want us to look at Hebrews chapter 11. Now, before we read this, let me set the context of this passage. Most of you know that Hebrews was written to uh, people that had converted to Christianity from Judaism. And, and what was going on when this letter was written is that these new young Christians are starting to be persecuted for their faith. And, and so some of them are going, man, I'm not sure this is worth it. Maybe we should go back to Judaism because uh, the Jewish faith was not being persecuted at this point uh, in the, the Roman Empire. And so the writer of Hebrews writes to these new Jewish Christians and says, listen, Jesus is superior to the law, to the prophets, to anything you had before. You can't go back. You can't shrink back because he's your destiny. And, and when the writer of Hebrews gets to chapter 11, he, he says, listen, here are some people from your past, from your history, from your tradition. They didn't give up. No matter what they went through, they kept fighting, they kept going for it to fulfill the destiny that God had for them. And you've got to do the same thing. Now, so we're going to look at Abraham and Sarah. Let me say one more thing. Sometimes when I pull principles or qualities from people in Scripture, uh, you know, I, I hear people say, ah, yeah, but Ron, they were in the Bible. They're obviously much more special than we were. Folks, listen. Abraham and Sarah lived before the cross and the resurrection. They were looking forward to a promise that you and I have received. Uh, Abraham and Sarah had the benefit of, of the Holy Spirit coming upon them, but you and I have experienced the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He not only indwells us, but he's come upon us to empower us. And so I believe we have everything we need for life and godliness to pull off the destiny of God. So let's not use that as an excuse. All right, look with me at Hebrews 11, beginning with verse 8. By faith, Abraham... When called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All right, five qualities of people of destiny. In other words, here are some things that if we'll grab onto them, I believe it'll help us to overcome the obstacles to our destiny and become the people that fulfill the purposes of God in our life. The first one is this. Uh, I believe a person of destiny, though far from perfect, will say yes every time God calls. Okay? Now, if you notice in this passage, it, it says that when they were called, Abraham and Sarah said yes, they obeyed, and they went. And so when God called on the big issue of their life, they said yes. Now, when I read about Abraham and Sarah in Galatians, Romans, uh, here in Hebrews, I always have to stop and wonder if the New Testament writers actually read the stories of Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament. And, and the reason is, is that the New Testament speaks of them so glowingly and with such admiration, I, I sometimes wonder if the writers of the New Testament really know how many mistakes they made and, and how many 
you know, mess-ups they had because they weren't perfect people. I mean, let me give you a couple examples. Abraham is threatened by this king because he has a beautiful wife, and he says, oh, she's not my wife, she's my sister. You remember that story? Go ahead, take her into your harem. I can't believe Sarah stayed with him after that. My wife would have killed me, okay? She would not have been understanding. But he doesn't learn the lesson. He does it not just once, he does it twice, okay? It's a miracle they didn't go to divorce court, okay? And, uh, and, and then, you know, as if Sarah, she has her stuff too. Uh, you know, Abraham shows up at her tent one night and says, you know, God promised. And she says, get out of here. Go find Hagar. Remember, she says, I'm done. Go, go fulfill the promise some other way. So here's a man and a woman who had their flaws. They had their weaknesses. They had their imperfections. Dare I say, they had their sins. But when God called them on the big issues of their life, they said yes. Now here's the application. There's not a single person here that is sinlessly perfect. We all have our issues. We have our brokenness. We have our flaws. We have our imperfections. And yes, we have our besetting sins. But the enemy uses those against you in the pursuit of your destiny. You see, the enemy shows up and he clothes himself in the garb of a Pharisee, this self-righteous judge, and says, how could God use you when you have that issue in your life? How could God use you when this is your problem, this is your weakness, this is your sin? And so what we do is we back up and we cower. We don't stand in the cross of Christ. We don't stand in a righteousness that is not our own. Instead, we are paralyzed. And we say no to the call of God when it comes. Folks, I want to tell you something. The greatest tragedy of our lives is not the sins we commit. It's the lives we fail to live. And the reality is God is always calling us to step out and say yes to him. He knows you're weak. He knows you're flawed. He knows about your sin. But he wants people who will say yes to him. Now, here's the good news. When you say yes to God and start moving, he'll deal with your stuff. He is faithful to cleanse, to wash, to heal, to purify. In fact, I think God loves to hit a moving target. He'll wait till you say yes to him. And as you begin to say yes, he begins to deal with those issues. And so the first quality I see in Abraham and Sarah is this. Though they were far from perfect, when God called, they said yes. We've got to become yes people for God as well. Second quality I see in this passage is this. A person of destiny doesn't have to know every last detail before they move out and obey. If you notice in verse 8, it says they obeyed and went. And here's a little phrase we sometimes miss. Even though they did not know where they were going. Now imagine this. Abraham and Sarah had never been this way before. Uh, there were probably trade maps for trading routes, but families didn't pick up and move like this. This was unheard of. And yet they began a journey that they didn't know where they were going, they didn't really know how to get there, they had no road map, they pulled up routes and they went for it without knowing all the details. Now, can you imagine taking a vacation like that? I think I have taken a few vacations like that where you pack up the kids and you get in the car and you say, all right, which way are we going this year? Last year we went right out of the driveway, this year we're gonna go left, okay? And then you just start to drive and when the kids say, are we there yet? You say, I have no idea, I don't know where I'm going, okay? Now, <laughs> Now, we laugh about that, but here's what happens. God begins to call us to destiny, to vision. And, and we say, all right, Lord, I'll say yes to you after you give me some more detail. 
Because it would be irresponsible for me to say yes when I don't know everything that's going to be involved. And so some of us get paralyzed in saying yes to God because we want more information before we commit. But you see, the life of faith is a life of trust. And God is not going to give you a blueprint of your destiny. He is not going to lay out all the details that you need to know for the next 30 or 40 years. Now, there's two reasons why he's not going to do that. And they're both a demonstration of his mercy. Okay? The first reason is this. If God told you what he was going to call you to do at 40 and 50 when you were 20 or 25, you would run screaming in the other direction. Listen, you don't have the grace for what he's going to call you to do 20 years from now. You don't have the faith for it. He knows that it would terrify you because there's a progression in the revelation of God in terms of what he's calling you to. And so if he gave you all the details, the first reason he's not going to do it is you're not ready for the details. Here's the second reason why he doesn't give you all the details. He's really into this thing called intimacy. You see, he wants to be in relationship with you. And he knows if you had a blueprint, you'd probably just go out and try to pull it off on your own. But you see, the reason God only gives you enough light for the next step is because he wants your hand firmly in his hand. He wants you to walk with him and be in relationship with him because as you walk this thing out, it's his mercy that he doesn't give you the full roadmap because God wants you to say yes without having all the details. Wanda and I had to do this in a big way uh, when we were younger. Uh, We had a very good church in Connecticut. Uh, They paid a really good salary. We had a beautiful home to live in. Um, Everyone was, you know, that I had gone to seminary with, they were jealous of us. And yet God began to stir in our hearts that we were to go plant a church in California. And, And we received prophetic words, and in prayer, the Lord kept calling us and calling us. And so finally, Wanda and I said, let's do it. Uh, let's leave everything, let's sell everything we have, let's pack up a U-Haul, let's take our one-year-old baby, let's move to Redding, California, a place we've never been, and let's start a church. And I mean, I can remember our parents and people in our lives saying, are you crazy? Well, tell us about how you're going to live, and what are you going to do, and who's going to pay for this? And, you know, and uh, I, we kept saying, we don't know, but we know God's called us. And, and Wanda and I knew together in our hearts that, that this was God. And so we stepped out and we moved out. I actually had to get a job at Radio Shack in Redding, California, selling cell phones when the cell phones were like this big, okay? (laughs) They had antennas that stuck out like this. And and if you wanted to go portable with them, you had to carry a battery pack that was it. And if you're laughing, it's because you're old as I am and can remember, you know, that, you know? It was horrible, okay? And uh, I, I mean, so I'm selling cell phones and computers, and you know what? People began to come to Christ. A church began to be formed. And when we left there 10 years later to move back to Nyack, 1,100 people were there on a Sunday morning to say goodbye to us. Now, you know why? It's not because Ron and Wanda are that great. It's because when people radically obey God without knowing all the details, he will release radical power in their life. And I am a living witness to say, you don't have to know all the details, but when you say yes to God, he will show up and be the provider for what you need. And his power gets released. Amen. Third quality I see in this passage is this. A person of destiny also doesn't allow discomfort to rob them of the purpose and plan of God. Now, if you notice in verse 9, it says that they live like strangers in a foreign country. 
Now, that's bad enough. Some of you know what it's like to have culture shock, to go to a foreign country, to experience that. But I think the worst part of this is the fact that they were called to live in tents for the rest of their lives. They went on a permanent camping trip. Now, let me set the context here. Where they came from in Ur, we know from the biblical record as well as from archaeology, that Ur, they knew how to build houses. And there were permanent dwelling places that Abraham and Sarah lived in. But when they said yes to God, not only were they called out of their comfort zone of their country, but they were called to a, a nomadic lifestyle that they embraced for not only the rest of their lives, but their children and their children's children. And I got to tell you, that's the kind of discomfort that makes me want to stay where I am and not say yes to God. Um, let me be honest. I hate camping. I, I, I'm like a city kid. I grew up in the country, but I've repented. I'm now a city person, okay? <laughs> and... <laughs> And, uh, and when our kids were little, my wife came to me and she said, honey, we have to go camping. I go, really? She goes, yeah, that's what families do. I said, okay. And she said, and we need to go buy a tent. I said, where's that in the Bible? And she showed me. Right here. And I said, all right. So I went to Walmart. I bought a tent. And uh, we took our young family, you know, babies and little kids. Uh, we had four kids in five and a half years. So we didn't know what was causing it for a long time, you know, so we didn't have TV. And uh, so, so we take our kids camping on the coast of Northern California. It's beautiful, right? Except uh, it rains there like 400 days a year, okay? And so we're, we're putting up this tent and it's pouring down rain. And I mean, somebody said, dig a ditch around the tent because that'll keep the water out. Well, that didn't work. I just succeeded in channeling all the water from the whole campground right through the center of our tent. So, I mean, it was miserable. I mean, we're laying in the tent, breathing through straws, holding our kids in the air. It wasn't quite that bad, but you weren't there, so it's a good story. Okay. But it was miserable. And I, and I said to Wanda, I said, I hate this. And I know the idea of progress is you start with a tent and then a tent trailer and then a trailer and a motorhome. My idea of camping is start with a Motel 6, move to the Holiday Inn, and end up with the Hilton, baby. That's camping, all right? So, here's my point. I believe we are often hindered in our pursuit of destiny because we fear discomfort. And in fact, I think in America we have been brainwashed to believe that Christianity doesn't include discomfort. There is a gospel being preached that has created a generation of passive Christians where they say, come and add Jesus to your already comfortable life and he'll make you more comfortable and more wealthy and, and more, you know, everything. And the truth is there are great blessings in following Jesus, but you got to keep in mind what Jesus said about following Jesus. You know, Jesus, I want to follow you. Great, then keep this in mind. The foxes have a place. They have a den. The birds, they have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And if you're up for that, come on. And people begin to say, whoa, I'm not sure I want that kind of discomfort. Another person says, I want to follow you. Okay, good. If you're going to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. And see, when we preach a gospel that doesn't include sacrifice and discomfort, then when people start to follow Jesus, as soon as the road begins to get rough, they back off and go the other way. So let me be honest with you. If you say yes to following God into your destiny, 
you're going to know some pain. You're going to know some discomfort. But I have to tell you this, the world can't throw anything at us that our God can't handle. And I have seen his healing and his provision every time it comes. And for that matter, what we're experiencing in terms of discomfort pales into in significance to the glory that will be revealed. And so if we're going to encounter God in the fullness of his destiny, we've got to begin to not shrink back from discomfort. But let me move on. Number four, the fourth quality I see in this passage is this. A person of destiny will not allow doubt to rob them of the purpose and calling of God. Now notice in this passage, in verses 11 and 12, that Abraham was as good as dead. I think that's a wonderful way to be remembered in Scripture. Okay? Sarah was old and barren. Okay? You know the story. They got the promise when they were in their 70s. The promise was not fulfilled until Abraham was 100, Sarah was 90, okay? And that's when the promise was fulfilled. Now, do you think they had some doubts along the way? You know they did. I mean, the thing with Hagar, with other issues. But here's an important thing to remember. Doubt is not unbelief. You see, Romans 4 says that Abraham never wavered into unbelief. Doubt is something you will have when you have a God-sized vision for your life. You see, if you don't have doubt as to how God is going to do what he's calling you to do and how you're going to pull it off, then you probably don't have a God-sized vision. And so doubt is going to be present, but it's when doubt slides into unbelief that sin begins and we miss the destiny of God. And so the key is, how do we struggle with this issue of doubt, but say, God, I don't understand, I don't know all the details, I can't believe this is going to happen, but I'm going to hang on, I'm going to hold on to you, Jesus, and I'm not going to let my doubts sidetrack me. Let me tell you a story. Uh, I had a friend many years ago who had an amazing job. He was a forest ranger in California. Now, I know we're in New York, and you don't know anything about forest rangers in California, but those people have a great job. They get to wear these nice little green suits and ride around in green trucks in the green of God's creation all day, and it's beautiful. And everybody wants this job. The problem is my friend hated it. He hated it because he was a people person, and he missed being with people. And so he told all of his colleagues at the Forest Service that he was going to resign because he wanted to start a coffee shop. Now, remember, this is before Starbucks existed. And so he went to his friends and says, I'm quitting. They said, you're crazy. Everybody wants this job. Why are you, you know, not going to keep it? He said, because I believe the calling for my life is to start a coffee shop that roasts our own beans and sells drinks for like 4 and $5 a drink. And they're all going, you're nuts. At the time, you could get a cup of coffee for 50 cents. So he had this vision that they had no vision for. Here's why this is important. When you share your destiny with people that don't have a vision for it, they will sow seeds of doubt into you. Be very careful who you share your vision with because if you share it with people who have not been on their face with God with you, then they're going to say, that's crazy, that's impossible. Are you, what are you, stupid? And they'll begin to speak all kinds of unbelief into your destiny. So my friend, he quit, started a coffee shop. It was so successful. He started another one. He started another one. When Starbucks moved into town, this, this guy had to corner on the market, and they offered him enormous sums of money to sell a couple of his stores to them 
And so he kept one of them and made more money than he'd ever put into his business, but he kept one because it was what he was born for. So folks, here's the word of the Lord to you. God is birthing destiny in you. Be very careful who you share it with. Make sure you find people who pray, people of intercession, people who are prophetic, people who know what it's like to trust a big God for supernatural things. Because if you share it with people that aren't on that kind of a, a focus, then they will sow seeds of doubt that will turn into unbelief in your life. Fifth thing I see in this passage is that a person of destiny allows their destiny to be shaped more by their destination than by their past. Now let me say that again, because in the first two services, people came up and they kind of missed it. If you're gonna embrace the destiny that God has for you, you have to allow that destiny to be clarified and shaped and motivated more by where you are headed than by where you've been. Let me show it to you in the scripture. Uh, look what it says about Abraham in verse 10, 15, and 16. It says, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Verse 15, if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Now, you see what's happening here? God is saying, sometimes for you to embrace your destiny, you have to radically abandon your old life. You have to say goodbye to some things and even some jobs and maybe some relationships. And if you are constantly looking over your shoulder, you would have an opportunity to return. So in the case of Abraham and Sarah, it required literally a journey away from where they had grown up and where they had lived so that they could grow up into the fullness of their destiny in God. Your purpose has to be shaped and motivated more by where you're headed than by where you've been. Now folks, some of you are living with curses from your past. Some of you have had things spoken over you that you believed you owned as reality. In fact, you don't need those persons in your life saying them because now you speak them over yourself. In Jesus' name, I set you free from that. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has gone, the new has come. Your destiny is not gonna be shaped by your past, it's gonna be shaped by where you're headed. And so one of the things that happens in our lives is we get trapped and chained by our past and as a result, we start looking back and we miss what God has for us in the future. Let me give you another example of churches. This is a great church. I love this church. It has an amazing history. I've kind of watched this church for 25 years and I, I've seen God do some amazing things. But I want you to know something. While you have to value your past and your history, you can never get trapped by it. Because God's doing a new thing and a fresh thing here. And if we are always looking back to the way things used to be at New Life, we'll miss what God wants to do in 2016 at New Life. And the reality is he has fresh vision, fresh destiny. We value our past, but we are not gonna be chained by it. We're gonna launch into what God has for us. Let me give you one more story about that. When I was a kid, I grew up in Pennsylvania, and I was a preacher's kid, and we always went to church camps. Anybody ever go to church camp? Okay, a couple of you. Well, this church camp that I went to, um, you know, I was a little wild, I was a little crazy, and as a teenager, I was asked to leave this church camp early several times, okay? <laughs> Enough said about that. And, uh, 
And, uh, and so you fast forward, you know, 20 years, 15, 20 years, and now I'm a professor at NIAC, and this is uh, 2004. And I get a call from the director of this camp where I grew up. And he says, uh, Dr. Walborn, uh, we'd like you to come and be our evening evangelist at Mahaffey Camp this year. And I'm like, really? You're kidding, right? No, no, we'd like you to come back. I'm like, okay, you're going to let me stay the whole week this time? Uh, <laughs> 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 and he kind of chuckled. He said, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> well, I went back, and we, we had a great time. Uh, I mean, the Spirit of God moved. We had amazing services. People were getting healed, filled with the Spirit. It, it was really a great week. But all week long, I had people coming up to me saying, hey, Ron, you remember when you pulled this practical joke? Remember when you did this? Remember when you did that? And, you know, it was really good when I had these old ladies come up and grab me by the cheek and say, I changed your diapers when you were a baby. I'm like, okay, thanks for sharing. Okay, you know. I mean, you know what it's like when you go home. Uh, they haven't seen who you now are, and they still define you by your past. So all week long, this is going on. Even though God's moving, awesome stuff's happening. So at the end of the week, the director of the camp comes up to me and he says, uh, hey, Ron, it's been a great week. I said, yeah, it's been awesome. Thanks for letting me stay the whole week. And he said, uh, I want to ask you, has it bothered you that people have come up and reminded you of your past all week long? Remember when you did this and that? I said, no, nah, it really hasn't bothered me. It hasn't bothered me for two reasons. First of all, they don't know the half of what I've actually done. <laughs> <laughs> So let them tell their stories, you know. <laughs> I said, the second reason it doesn't bother me is that's no longer who I am. See, I, I'm not, I, I am not that crazy teenager. I, I, I was lost. I didn't know where I was going. I had no sense of purpose. But you know what? God has grown me up in the spirit. I've been set free. I've been filled with the spirit. I've been empowered from on high. I am a man of God. I am not who I used to be. And I can listen to those stories and they no longer affect me because my destiny is being shaped more by where I'm headed than where I've been. See, it, it's time to leave the past behind. It's time to say goodbye to those old characterizations, to those limitations, and to be set free in Jesus' name. And so God is calling us to fulfill the destiny he has for us. What is it you were born for? Don't live for anything less. Let me show you one other verse and then we'll close. In this uh, passage, it closes in verse 16 with a little phrase. And it's speaking of Abraham and Sarah, and it says this, Therefore, uh, therefore, and because of how they pushed through and they persevered and they had these qualities of destiny, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Now, when I read that the first time, I'm like, yes, that would be awesome. Can you imagine God's heart swelled with pride for his son, for his daughter, Abraham and Sarah, I am not ashamed to be called the God of Abraham, the God of Sarah. And I'm thinking, man, that's amazing. But then it hit me. Whoa, maybe there's a flip side to this verse. Maybe there's people who are given everything they need for their destiny. As Scripture says, we have everything we need for life and godliness in Christ Jesus. And could there be a sense that when we get to heaven, for some believers... There's a sense of shame in the heart of God. Now, not, not unhealthy, you know, you know psychologically uh, unbalanced shame, but a, a disappointment in the heart of a father 
who gave his children everything they needed for life and godliness to pull off their destiny, and they wasted it, and they didn't use it. And, and you know, we're told in Scripture that Jesus will wipe every tear from our eye. On two places we see that in Revelation. But we're not told why we're crying. Let me suggest one possible reason for the tears. In the light of God's glory, when you and I look back at this earth and, and at the lives we lived, could it be that we'll say, oh God, I'm so sorry. I had no idea that you gifted me and anointed me and gave me that, Lord, I'm so sorry. I lived such a safe life. Oh Lord, I am so sorry. I went to work and I paid the bills and I went to church, but God, you had so much more in your heart for me. I am so sorry. And he wipes away the tears from our eyes. Folks, I got to tell you something. I don't want that encounter to be my encounter. I want to do everything God has purposed in his heart for me. I don't want to leave anything on the playing field, to use an athletic analogy. And when I get there, I want to stand before him and say, Father, I fulfilled the purposes of God in my generation. And I want to hear him say, welcome home, son, well done. You used up everything I gave you. You blessed the nations. You fulfilled the purposes of God. Let me give you one last picture and then we'll pray. I have this image in my mind of what it's going to look like in heaven when the roll is called up yonder and they read the names out of the Lamb's Book of Life. Now, I don't have any biblical basis for this, and I know I'm a seminary dean, so just be kind to me here for a minute, all right? This is my imagination. But in my imagination, I visualize something a lot bigger than this, but not unlike this. And, and the balcony is not really a balcony, it's the angelic hosts, and they're all using their wings, you know? They're like hovering over the redeemed, and they're around, so you guys in the balcony, you're the angels, okay? Don't try it without a balcony, though. Okay? And, uh, and then the, the bottom section is filled with the redeemed, okay? the saints. And the names are being read out of the Lamb's Book of Life. And, and when a name is read, one of the saints you know, comes to receive his reward. And so they read the name Billy Graham okay? or, or Luis Palau, who was just here in New York. And everybody goes, ah, you know, the saints are applauding, the angels are applauding. And, and Billy Graham and Luis Palau, they come and receive their reward. And everybody knows them. And then they read, you know, Peter Roden and New Life section of heaven goes crazy, you know. He put up with all our stuff, man, and he loved us anyhow, you know. It's a really big section, the New Life section, okay. <laughs> and, and then they read Ron Walborn and my mother, you know, claps, you know. <laughs> That's my boy, you know. <laughs> but then they read a name that the angels recognize, but nobody else does. They read the name Mildred McGillicuddy. And, and the angels go nuts. I mean, it's the loudest applause of the day from the angelic hosts. But the redeemed, they're kind of doing the golf clap. They're like, Mildred McGillicuddy, who is that, you know? Polite, but you know. And as she comes forward, the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth rises to his feet says, welcome home, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And then he explains. He says, you don't know this woman. She never passed her to church. She never preached a sermon. She never led a Bible study. She was out in the middle of nowhere. But when I called her to pray, she rose early in the morning. She fell to her knees and she prayed. 
She was an intercessor. She was a general of intercession in my kingdom. And nobody ever knew her. Nobody saw what she did. But when she prayed faithfully every morning, missionaries were sent to the ends of the earth. When she prayed, nations came to know my name. When she prayed, my kingdom came to earth. My will was done on earth. Well done, now good and faithful servant. There are no menial destinies in God's kingdom. There's only menial attitudes. And she gets her reward. I got to tell you something. I want that to be you. I want that to be me. And I don't care who knows us down here, but I want God to know us up there. And your Father in heaven who sees what is done in secret will reward you, is what Matthew 6 says. So will you stand with me? I want to pray with you. The presence of the Lord is here right now to birth destiny in you. To actually awaken you to the vision of God for your life. So Father, now in Jesus' name, I pray that you would birth faith in this room and hope in this room. I pray where the enemy and when the world, where the world, where the flesh, where the devil has tried to steal the dreams of God, that he would be silenced, that he would be vanquished, and that the Spirit of God would breathe life into people today. Right now, some of you, you had callings on your life. You had dreams that the Spirit of God birthed in you as children. And I'm seeing right now just a picture of of, of you as, as little kids. And I want you to know something. The call of God on little children is real and it's powerful. And what happens is life tends to beat us up and rob us. And so right now, I pray for the restoration of those God-given childhood dreams. So Father, I pray that we would become people like Abraham and Sarah who say yes to you in spite of our imperfections and our failures and our sin. Lord, we say yes to you. And Lord, I pray that when you do begin to call us, we wouldn't require the knowledge of all the details, but we would say, Jesus, I'm gonna grab your hand, I'm gonna trust you, and let's begin the journey. And when the discomfort comes, I want you to keep your eyes on him. You can trust him. There's nothing this world can throw at you that our God can't handle. Father, I also ask that for those who have been cursed in their past, that would be broken here today. And that Jesus, you would begin to speak the truth of who they are in you. My sons, my daughters. It's time to take risks again for the kingdom and to live the fullness of who you are in him. So Father, I pray that you would seal the work you've done here. I pray for new life, that the next 20 years would be brighter and more powerful than anything you've done in the past. That doesn't diminish our past, we're thankful for it, but Lord, you promised to do greater things and we're asking for them now in Queens. Come Holy Spirit. Come and anoint these people. Come and anoint this place as a place of destiny, as people of destiny for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 119, verse 80. May I wholeheartedly follow after your decrees that I might not be put to shame. To live a life of passion, sometimes it takes a level of vulnerability and a willingness to uncover some of the areas of our lives that, that we've covered up because of, you know, Ron talked about those childhood dreams. 
Uh, and it, it takes a little bit of work to get down to that root. But the desire here is that we leave from this place with a passion to wholeheartedly follow after who God has called us to be. In that, we will not be put to shame. Amen. A couple of things that you can do. Um, when I receive communion, I, I, I feel like I'm receiving all of who God is for all of who I am. And so there's a communion table over here that you're, you're welcome to receive. We also have some prayer people that will come forward if you need to receive prayer uh, for someone to pray for you. Um, and also, you know, don't forget to stop by downstairs, the table for Nyack College. Uh, education is one of the ways that we unlock the capacity to fully walk in the purposes and the plans that God has for us. So stop by and see Julian uh, if you have some questions to explore that. So uh, let me pray, and then I'll be dismissed. So extend your hands out to receive the blessing of God. Father, I ask that you would, you, the God who shaped and formed us while we were yet in our mother's wombs, Lord, that you would look upon us with compassion. And God, I ask that today we would receive the courage we would receive the boldness. We would receive the confidence to live out the life that you have called us to live. God, we don't want to turn back. We want to turn to you. We want to fully live the life that you have given us. So I pray, Father, that you would send us from this place with that strength, with that courage, and with that boldness. Send us forth in Jesus' name.